The show is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. Being your best self feels good for your loved ones and for you. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Vilefiles and get back to being you. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another exciting episode of The Vile Files. I am your host, Nick, joined by the team of Allie and Amanda. How you ladies doing? Just dandy. I had a lovely little staycation at your place with Jeff. Yes. It was uh, a good weekend. Uh, after uh, having the SWAT team yeah. overtake your house. Yeah. Uh, Yours seems like a safer bet. Yeah. I'm very well. A fresh off of a trip to San Francisco. You were in San Francisco. I was in San Francisco and it was magical. Did you take your lady friend or was it to visit other friends? No, it was to visit other friends, but I was texting the lady friend and she loves San Francisco. It's, there was a little bit of talk of like, Uh-oh. maybe we should go back Man, together sometime. Planning a trip. <laughs> yep. All right. You know, it's the seeds are being planted. Okay. Um, well, we have a, a really fun episode for you today. Uh, Dr. Diane Strakowski. Yes. Did I get that right? Yes, you did. We just like to call her Dr. Diane. Uh, she is back with us today. Uh, Dr. Dan was on our podcast, our Bachelorette Recap podcast, breaking down uh, the finale of of Katie's season. And I invited Dr. Diane back because we're all talking about uh, Taylor Swift's new song. It is uh, inspiring. It's, it's beautiful music all too well. The, do we call it, is it like an, is a ba- it's a ballad. No, it's 10 yeah. minutes. Well, it's technically a short film. Oh, short film. Well, it's a 10-minute song, but the like 15-minute video is qualified as a short film. And everyone's talking about it. It's a great song, as we mentioned. We, just, just a heads up. It's all Swifties in this room. I'm a big Taylor Swift fan. I had the pleasure of meeting her once. We have a mutual friend. She was incredibly sweet, nice, and normal. And I say normal because like she has a godlike presence. And if she wasn't normal, we'd be like, totally makes sense. You're checks out. Check that but she was again a brief interaction with her, just super down to earth. And I was like, oh my God, Taylor's so like chill and nice and cool. Um and she is made a career out of being incredibly in touch with her feelings and empathetic and is a beautiful songwriter to the point where everyone finds it so relatable and that's kind of her gift and she connects with us and we feel seen and heard by listening to taylor swift and and she released this longer version of this song all too well and in the music video and by the way if you haven't seen the music video and you listen to this podcast you should hit pause you should go to youtube you should Google taylor's version of all too well and you should watch the 10 minute video because what we decided to do is recap the fight that was in this video. And I thought the reason why we should do that with Dr. Diane is because, you know, we talk a lot about relationships and dating in this podcast. And it is my belief and hope and goal that the people who listen to the show and just the world in general when it comes to love and dating is there's certainly plenty of bad apples out there, but I do believe that we have men and women gay straight we just we want to figure out love and dating and relationships we're optimistic about finding our person and we want to have these healthy relationships and yet we often get it wrong we find our you know fights are a part of any relationship even healthy ones 
uh, early on in dating, we have the best intentions often, and we look back on our relationships and, and we make a lot of mistakes. Uh, we have become more enlightened in the past few years, um, learning about communication styles, attachment styles, which I'm sure we'll talk about today, which you uh, graced us a little bit when you were on the podcast last time. And we're learning all this new information, but we're also learning at such a speed that we're also misusing a lot of these terms. And with our desire to become uh, enlightened, I think we're kind of screwing up. Obviously, I've been talking a lot about people misdefining terms like gaslighting, love bobbing, stonewalling, narcissism. It's like the internet gave us, it's like the internet walked around and started like handing out simple basic definitions of these words. And we're just like, oh, cool. And we're going to try to like take this new tool that we have with this information and go around and being like, well, all right, here are your definitions. Now walk the earth and point out anytime you see this. Almost to the detriment, I think, of relationships because I think it's become a, a distraction. I don't think we, we are intending to for most people, but sometimes I think it's become a, a, a weapon that we're now using. I want to like break this episode down as how can we watch this fight, which I think is a very relatable fight, relatable in the sense that if we're just looking at what we see, not necessarily, we're not, it's, we're not going to like assume, you know, Taylor and obviously the Jake Gyllenhaal self, Gyllenhaal part. We're just going to take this fight as like a case study of what we know watching the fight, right? And, you know, what can we take away from it? What can we learn about these situations? Because this is a fight of what seems like two people who are not understanding each other, not empathizing. Uh, it seems like one person feels a little bit uh, uh, ignored uh, invalidated, not maybe getting met their emotional infection. The other person almost seems like they almost might feel like they can't get it right or or maybe they just don't feel as strongly as them and feel guilty for that and they're responding in a toxic way. So how can we watch this? How can we kind of humble ourselves to point out things that we have done in relationships? And then how can we use this video to say, well, next time I find myself in this situation, what would Dr. Diane tell me to do? And I think that's our, our hope of this episode. Did I, did I set up some appropriate upfront expectations? Because this is not about determining whether Jake Gyllenhaal gaslit Taylor Swift. Like, that's not our goal today. We don't, we don't know. We're just going to try to understand this, this episode and fight and all be better lovers and partners for it. I think we can just call them Sadie and Dylan. Let's just call them Sadie and Dylan. Yeah. Great. That way we, we just neutralize it do you want to break down the fight first and then we can on a more macro level talk about like redefining again i think it's always a reminder a good reminder what is let's redefine gaslighting yes. let's understand it i'd love to have a discussion about you know what is it about our society that has taken these terms and adopted them to mean something slightly different than what it was originally meant because people seem to be connecting with some of these moments as a way to articulate a feeling. But is at the same time, is it still dangerous to casually define things, especially when these very things happen? Like gaslighting is a form of abuse. It happens in these extreme cases. And there's a reason why that's there. So how do we talk, how do we still identify these feelings 
while still not necessarily blurring the lines between something that is abuse and something that is maybe feeling invalidated. I think, Nick, before we even get to the fight, we need to talk a little bit about what comes before that. Okay. Because here the way the story plays out, right? She leaves her scarf. Clearly this relationship is moving fast, mm. you would say. Right? She she meets the family. She feels this sense of home comfort. They're upstate New York having this amazing time. The wind's blowing in her hair. We already see a snag because he gets out of the car, throws the keys, right? He's already yelling on the phone with someone else. I don't know who that is. Yeah, like we don't, he's we just don't mad. Right. So then we get to the fight. And yes, the lead up is here suddenly she feels very young. She's the youngest person in the room. Everyone's chatting. They're catching up on 10 years worth, right? Mm. So clearly that makes her feel insecure. She goes to touch his hand. He drops her hand. You can just see her sink. I mean, and we've all been in that moment where your your heart just sinks. And so then we find them in the kitchen. And in the kitchen, then he says, you're acting pouty. Yeah, like she, right. there's a vibe where she, and we, I think we've been in these fights for like, you know, you're both, either one of you is mad and the other person knows it or you're both mad and you're just like, who's going to bring it up? You know, we've we've all been there. Totally. Right? The pre-fight standoff. Yeah it's, oh, just, yeah. it's like this weird game of chicken and you feel, especially, and, you know, and when you know your partner's mad at you, there's a natural feeling of defensiveness, right? Or, or, and then maybe you're just like, and in that situation, is it possible too? Because what we're seeing in this general fight, right, too, and we talked about this last night, I think one of the most common relationship problems, and you would know better than anyone dealing with you know, couples, is that often in relationships where there's problems, one person feels invalidated That's or right. unloved and the other person feels flooded yes like overwhelmed by the expectations of their partner and they they're doing their best version of that and the other right. person thinks that can't be possible that this is your best i think sadie is emotionally triggered and i think dylan is getting flooded and he is saying this is too much for me because that's my big question too when it comes to gaslighting like what is the definition and then where i'm confused still is that like what we learned for what we learned from dr solomon and i've talked with darlene about it and talked with you about it is this very specific thing that came from this playbill this playwright of this kind of perpetuated systematic ongoing uh deliberate attempt at manipulation changing someone's reality and where I'm confused and I'm hoping you again can clear the air and is like people are out there on the internet talking about signs of gaslighting, right? right. Like, like symptoms, like, Hey, you know, when you like, I think I have a cold and you Google symptoms and you're like, Oh, well shit. I, I guess I got it. One thing I've saw, I've seen a lot is people saying things like, well, I don't really know how to define it, but let me, this is, this is a, this is a sign of gaslighting. Yeah. And my understanding is that gaslighting, it can't just be like a one-off thing someone says because it has to be 
like this perpetual ongoing thing. And it seems like a lot of people out there will see an example of gaslighting. Like when someone, when, when this uh, Dylan guy says something like, oh, we were having fun until you fucked it up or something like that, which is like a dick thing to say. And certainly could be used as a way to manipulate your partner. But is, does that, you know what I'm saying? Does that make sense? I want to break down the, the five ways because I think that'll be helpful because okay. I think two things were actually happening in this kitchen scene. So definition of what gaslighting actually is, if you want to break it down, countering. Uh, the abusive person questions the memory of the other person like you're making this up. Withholding, pretends not to understand. Forgetting, an abusive person might deny something. Trivializing, and that's what I think is happening here. That you minimize the other person's concern, seeing them as unimportant or irrational, or you can divert, changing the subject. Those are the two things. Now, again, we're painting a picture of what happened even earlier. She, Sadie clearly, as I said in my mind, has a anxious attachments out. She needs a lot of validation, to your point. She needs to feel important. Why she's triggered in that moment? Because she feels like her partner has abandoned her. And that's oftentimes a wound that an anxiously attached person feels. So they interpret the situation as an abandonment. That's an old wound for them, as opposed to he was just preoccupied with his friends. And then we could talk about how you might handle this in a relationship if this is you. That's I think our, our hope is that we can watch this and say, here's how people might be feeling. If can you relate right. in, in these situations? And then what would you recommend a more productive way like if you feel say triggered like you feel ignored by your partner yes and you feel like and you're frustrated by that they didn't hold your hand they didn't show you pda they gave more attention to your friends co-workers etc what's the best way to to articulate that and then also on the flip side when you feel attacked by your partner hmm. uh, and you feel defensive well how should we better appropriately handle that as opposed to doing what Dylan did? Should we accept the term of gaslight? Because which is also interesting, it's it's not in the diagnostic manual. It's not in the DSM, no. We're overusing it too much to use it as a feeling. It is classically meant that a narcissist, and in the cycle of narcissistic abuse, that also includes like love bombing, mm -hmm. and then you devalue and you discard your person, excuse me, and then you sort of hover. And classically, gaslighting came into this idea of narcissistic abuse. Sure. So in this moment, sure, there's a smattering of trivializing and diverting. Yeah. I mean, there's Same. a ton of it in this, in this fight. When I watch the fight, I feel like I've been Sadie where I'm just like, why did you, like, why did you act that way? Why did you treat me this way? Why did you like... That seemed rude. We were around these people. And why did you say that? I feel uncomfortable. And then I've expressed that to partners mm -hmm. in the past. I also feel like I've been on Dylan's side of the feeling where it's just like as somebody who I know I have been aloof and not present. I've been called out by partners by appropriately so been called out, but also I've been attacked by partners where they start yelling at me. And I've gotten defensive and, and I've been like, what are you talking about? Sure. And so we have to look at this in the pattern of the relationship, right? Mm -hmm. If he's doing this all the time, and so there's gradations. What I wanna say, if you see one person having, they're a great person otherwise, treating you really well, and then one time they're 
preoccupied with their friends mm-hmm. and they don't treat you well, but then they repair it. So here's to Dylan's point. He does come and say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And then she says, there's nothing else for me to do here. And then they kind of move on and we see their love story going on. But we know that this was the beginning of the crack, as she called it, right? There's chapters in this short film and that was the first crack. And I do believe that it was at that point too that Dylan got flooded by Sadie, like, oh shit, he says it, oh shit, now this, yeah. that I'm held hostage. So he said a couple things. First, the trivializing part, I'm not making you feel that way, you're feeling that yeah. way. That was triggering for people to watch. And then he said, now you're holding me hostage. And he was calling her selfish. Versus, and now Sadie's not without fault here. She was also emotional and yes, could have done a better job. But basically she said, you treated me differently. Mm -hmm. So to me, there's an emotional imbalance here that she's saying you treated me differently. And he's going off saying you're selfish and you're emotional and how dare you kind of do this to me, hold me hostage. So that felt like a, a higher weight. What do you mean? Meaning that... If, if we're comparing the two, she's clearly emotional, but also she's clearly more invested. I mean, as it plays out, right, we see that Sadie, there's an emotional imbalance because she's fallen for him harder than he's fallen for her. Yeah, it seems like right? he doesn't love Sadie's her the more same in love way. with Dylan. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Storyworth. That's right. Give the gift of a great story to your loved ones. Encapsulate those memories inside a perfectly formatted book with Storyworth. Makes a great gift for all your loved ones. I gave it to my dad for Father's Day, and boy, did he appreciate it. I grew up loving to hear my parents talk about stories about their childhood and their experience with their parents, and same with my grandparents. And it really is really cool to take that those stories and, and make them into a keepsake that uh, we could be passed down over and over. StoryWorth is an online service that helps you and your loved ones preserve precious memories and stories for years to come. It is a thoughtful and meaningful gift that connects you to those that matter most. Each and every week, StoryWorth emails your relatives or friend a thought-provoking question of your choice for their vast pool of possible options. From their vast pool of possible options, each unique prompt asks a question you've never thought to ask, like, what was the bravest thing you've ever done in your life? Or if you could see into the future, what would you want to find out? Some fascinating things you can learn about the people you think you know the most, but maybe you don't. And there's so much more to learn about the people you've been living with your entire life. After one year, StoryWorth will compile all your loved ones' stories, including photos, into a beautiful keepsake book that you will be able to share and revisit for generations to come. With StoryWorth, I am giving those I love the most a thoughtful, personal gift from the heart and preserving their memories and stories for years to come. Go to StoryWorth.com slash V-I-A-L-L and save $10 on your first purchase at storyworth.com slash V-I-A-L-L to save $10 off your first purchase. Masterclass, be a master, take a class. The holidays are fast approaching and it's always hard to find new and unique gifts to people, especially the people you think they can have anything they want. But knowledge is power and give them the gift of learning literally anything they want to learn from the people who know how to do it the best. That's right, Masterclass, whether it's dog training, cooking, photography, movie making, skateboarding like Tony Hawk or Martin Scorsese. Shonda Rhimes teaches writing for televisions. Gordon Ramsay teaches cooking. I mean, Gordon Ramsay taught me how to cook a steak uh, from Masterclass. And I'll tell you what, when I cook a steak now for my friends, they stop, they look at me and go, 
Wow. Uh, anyways, it makes a great gift. Uh, you can get their entire catalog for yourself and for a loved one. I gave it to my brother-in-law for Christmas. He doesn't shut up about how, I mean, he thinks I like him now. Uh, I'm kidding. He's great. It can be enjoyed on your phone, your desktop computer, iOS, Android, Apple TV, Amazon Fire TV, and Roku. Certainly, you can really just enjoy it anywhere. I find it to be enjoyable when I'm traveling. This holiday, give one annual membership and get one free. Go to masterclass.com slash V-I-A-L-L today. That's masterclass.com slash V-I-A-L-L. Terms apply. But I'm assuming like in early relationships, that's that's a common thing, right? So like two sure. people meet, you're dating for a couple months. One person could be really excited. The other person could be, oh, I really like this person. They're great, but like, mm, Just I don't a know. little slower. And maybe, and that could be for a variety of reasons. Could be maybe they got out of a relationship uh, and they're still like slowly, they're like, they're, they're, they're excited. They're, they're capable of dating, but just a little bit more reserved because maybe they fell hard the last time, et cetera, et cetera. Or who knows, you know? And so how do we deal with, with that? You know, I guess what I'm trying to, I'd love to have these tools provided by you is because all these little moments that we're like talking about, they're so relatable in terms of the disconnect between it's really just all these moments it seems like are expectation versus reality in relationships we have an expectation of ourselves and our partners and then we have the reality of the situation and we often our expectations aren't matching our reality and we sometimes try to force it in like force it like square peg round hole and we do it in a way that doesn't sure. work and in a more ideal world sadie would have also calmed down first because the problem here is when you're triggered you are emotionally charged mm -hmm. okay she's upset he's upset nothing good comes of that we actually have studies that say that we can predict with accuracy couples that break up because their blood pressure gets up too high mm -hmm. over 100 beats per minute without exercising and john gottman has done studies to predict couples if they do that very often they're more likely to break up is that a personality thing or is that a compatibility thing? It's more that you both are triggering each other. So any anyone could, that could be anyone because we've met people who seem to be more reactionary than others. Sure, sure. Does that play a role or sure. is it just? So it does come back to your attachment style okay. because Sadie is the more anxiously attached person. Everything has more meaning, more weight. She's hanging on his every word, his every look, what he does or doesn't do. I do believe, again, he got flooded by her in that moment. And you can start to see him shutting down, thinking, is this what I'm signing up for longer term? And then later, eventually, he breaks up with her. Mm -hmm. If a more perfect world, in that moment, Sadie would say, um, I felt really lonely. I know you didn't mean to. You were preoccupied with your friends. But if that were to happen again, it would mean a lot to me if you held my hand. Yeah. If you talked, if you put your arm around me, if you talked about us. Because she also says in the song, you kept me like a secret. Yeah. I kept you like an oath. Right. There's a, a, a difference. There's good context also with, I mean, sources have said that she was like planning on saving herself for marriage and then like really thought she was going to marry him so they like slept together that was the first time she had ever slept with anyone and i feel like that line might have been hinting at that because like for her it meant so much and she was like that was an oath and like sure. it was 
And he was kind of just like had this little girl on the side. Like that's what a secret feels like to me. I'm, I'm curious with you, like often in early relationships, people are dating and some people are like, oh, you one night you have a great date, call on mom and be like, I had a, an amazing date. And other people are, we'll see. We're slow to tell friends. How much does that play a role early on in dating where someone, it fe- like, Again, expectation versus reality. You want your person, the other person, to be just as excited as you, but they, they don't. They're. It feels like they keep you a secret. That because- is my advice to every anxious person. I call her nervous Nora, and she's like forty six percent of the population. I'm just okay. going to so throw this out is there. Just like a general nervous this Nora is, is anyone who's a, has who an, has an anxious attachment okay. style. Forty six percent. Forty six percent, according to my quiz data, which I think is what happens. And so I say, slow your roll, girl. You have to calm down. It's okay to like him, but take a wait and see approach. If you, and and yes, I did thought she probably lost her virginity. I didn't know if that was confirmed or not, but all the red too, the red scarf and the red mug and the red lipstick. I mean, there were lots of, again, metaphors sure. to that. So clearly your first love is a big deal. Oh my God. It's, so, it's a huge deal. So hard to get over. And she kept saying, you know, we'll remember this. And She's just clearly hurt that it wasn't, it didn't mean the same to him as it meant to her. And then I think talking about ghosting, then as we move the story along, then he doesn't show up for her birthday. And I think the the, the rest of the story Were to me felt- Were they still dating in that, on her birthday? So they broke up, I think, early December. Her birthday is December 13th. Yes. So I think there was potentially an expectation that he would come, which is what- the song The Moment I Knew is about because she just stood around like waiting for him and then ended up crying at her birthday because he never showed up. But in the song The Moment I Knew, everyone was asking where he was. So clearly people either still thought they were together or there was like, uh, they were still clearly ending things. So in in a more perfect world, also Dylan would have said, you're flooding me right now. This is too much. I feel like you're ahead of me. And that's why a lot of people do ghost. And I think it's important if we just look at dating trends that let's say he's the avoidant person. I don't know this for sure, but he needs something different. He needs space, peace, distance, quiet, respect. She needs love, validation, uh, acknowledgement, closeness. So they have competing needs. And these are the majority of couples I see. He didn't ask for space. He broke up with her because oftentimes this is the case. The avoidant person feels the pressure or the weight of the relationship is on them. And if I'm not vibing you the same way and I can see that you are so in love with me, it makes me feel uncomfortable. Yeah, it almost seems like people will say, this is only going to end with me hurting you. That's right. I'm just going to break up with you now. Even if I'm hurting you now, it's less hurt than what it's going to be. And I don't know how to deal with that. That's right. And it felt cruel to her, right? She said it was a cruel breakup. And then the only thing he could say is, well, it's your age. Um, Because he didn't have the words or the language for it. And oftentimes, this is when I work with people, oftentimes men who have the more avoidance stance because boys are less likely to be raised in a more emotional kind of home. And so he doesn't have the words for it to talk about how to be vulnerable, how to stay in it. Because the three-month mark, which is also significant in a dating relationship, usually it is about month three or four where you really do decide, are we going to go for it or not? Mm -hmm. And I think that was the stress point. That's what we talk about in attachment styles. It's the boiling point where you start to see 
differences. She needed something different than he needed. And that's really what happened here. And then she didn't get the closure in my mind. And hence, that's why she reels from it and why it's so difficult because she's also given up so much of herself for him. Yeah. And then she takes that energy and writes it in her book. I always get asked, it's like, why, why did he or she say this when we broke up? What did it mean? Or things like that. And it's just like, it was the heat of the moment when you're trying to break up with someone, you're trying to like get out of a situation and for the most time, try not to hurt them, knowing that you are hurting them with the action of breaking up. So we often say things we don't even know what we're saying or mean, and not that that's okay, but we in the receiving end need to be careful putting so much weight on what's said in the breakup as to why it broke up because we're going to reassess I mean, I mean, I'm assuming oh, Sadie yeah. Taylor, whatever. Again, she wrote a song ten years ago. I'm guessing Taylor has answered a lot of her own questions as an adult. Absolutely, right? like and I think we, I think personally, we put too much emphasis on closure. Closure is not something that you're going to get from this person. You give it to yourself. Yeah. You say, "I learned something from this." Uh, you know, part of the question is, "How did you get so ahead of yourself?" So, taking responsibility for your own part of it. How did you wrap yourself around this story of this emotionally unavailable person and get again so wrapped up? so quickly and i think that's the ownership that we can learn after the fact and say well i need to work on this in the future because that's my pattern of attaching too quickly another question i want to ask you about a lot of times we hear in let's say toxic relationships Mm -hmm. and would you say that there's a difference between relationships that have toxicity and relationships that are just straight up abusive right because i think we've all said our things that we recognize like that was not I, I, that was toxic. Like that, I was I was being toxic in that moment. Is that that's accurate? right? There's and it's the same thing with how do we define narcissism as a personality trait because it is diagnosable, and that's a pervasive way of being versus what is narcissistic behavior. Yeah, like what so, is being selfish? Like that's what right. Is being self consumed in this moment where you're like, oh, God, for three months I was like, all I cared about was me. Well, I don't, you know, and like we have these reckon, you know, we, we do that sometimes. Sure. And so we're all on a continuum. But if this is happening for you and you're a young woman and you have your boyfriend who's done this, you approach him the first time with goodwill. Honey, I know you love me, but you were preoccupied what I need from you next time. Now, progress that. If he is truly a narcissist, he's going to dismiss that. He's going to say, what are you talking about? He's not going to take that feedback in and then it's going to continue. So that's what you're talking about, more abusive, and that might even lead to domestic violence where the person is being physically, emotionally abused. Mm -hmm. So it's all a range. You might be toxic once, you might have acted out in a toxic way, but that doesn't mean you're a toxic person or an abusive person. And so we're we're differentiating that. Yeah, and I think that's kind of like, as we learn these terms, we're identifying these things. And it's so easy to see when it's happening to us, hard to see when we're not looking in the mirror. Right. Oftentimes in these relationships, people will say they'll feel stuck. Yes. Um, we will recognize these patterns in our partners. And we've, we all did the kind of a, the fi- I wanted to fix them. I, you know, we, this has been going on for a while, but how do we determine the right time to get out? Because people will talk like they're stuck or, or in, let's say if you are dating a nar- an actual 
person? Are there people who are a person who's narcissistic? Are there people who, like what role and responsibility is it on us in a relationship where it's, we're, when do we, are we fighting too much, I guess, versus act, calling it stuck as if we don't actually have ability to say, this isn't healthy for me. I need to remove myself. I need to leave. Um, Michelle in the Bachelorette, you haven't seen the episode. She literally talks about how she was getting physically sick and until she the relationship ended and she removed herself that she started feeling better. She never necess- she didn't say she couldn't get out, that she almost implied that she was just trying so hard to make it work. So here's the classic thing. The anxiously attached person usually has a parent who's, on, who's available, sometimes not other. They learn the habit of working hard. And if that's me, I learned that this is love. So I got to get in there. I got to fix you. I got to try harder. And if I love them more, if I love them through it, they'll turn around. But what you have to do is stay conscious, your head, heart, and mind. Have a journal. I tell everyone, one of the best advice pieces you're dating, write it down in your journal. Your journal doesn't lie. You have that weird feeling afterwards as a situation. Go back and read it and reread it. Look for patterns, not just one-time behaviors, but if you're starting to feel like you're losing yourself, if you're starting to feel like you are, this person is holding power over you and your life is getting smaller and you're feeling bad about yourself, that's time to get out. Yeah. Those are signs to say, this is not healthy. This is not making me a better person. I don't feel good about myself. I feel like I've kind of lost myself. Losing yourself is another sign. And people can also get into, again, people pleasing. So well, you don't feel, you're, you can't, you start saying to yourself, I don't, who, like, you don't recognize the person that's you're right. being. That's yeah. right. And a part, a big part of it is fear of being alone. So how can people get better about this? Recognize that I'm okay on my own recognize that I would rather be empowered. And I think that's the positive Mm. story about here, Taylor being empowered to say, you know, I made something. This is like her redemption song. And she's saying, I'm not going to let this control me anymore. Yeah. So the same thing for any single woman to say, I have to decide and be in a good place myself to welcome love in. But if it's getting ugly and I'm, I'm losing myself, I'm going too fast, I'm getting too attached and my self-esteem is going down, this is not healthy for me. You don't want that for the long term. And, and you more, more women tend to be anxious attached? Yes. Well, so it's 46%. Then we have some who are also avoidant women. It's, it's your family of origin is what sets the tone for how you will the way you describe it, I, w- I would guess I'm more anxious attached. And I feel like I get it from my mom. Do you have an opinion on this from a little bit you might know? Yeah, I, I can see that. I mean, you you love easily. You love to love. Um, you you fall for people. We, we talked about that in your experience. And that fighter mentality. Like early in my relationships, I, w- I was the fixer. Yeah. I, I, I was like, all right, you can break up with me again. I'll just let me know what I can fix. You know, and, like, and Nick, I'm the same. Yeah. So I can totally relate. And my, my dad was a little more. Certainly younger me. Yeah, yeah. And my mom was certainly anxious. And so we pick this up from our parents. We do just because we have hundreds of thousands of experiences with them. It's going to imprint on us. And so therefore, if I want to heal, though, if I want to heal in a good relationship, I'm going to need to heal myself, my nervous system, my nervous mindset my nervous behaviors, and then I need to also connect with my partner because the partner is half. And when you talked earlier about what could be some techniques, I'll give you a technique. 
that people can use for couples. It's called leveling. In every relationship, there's a person who's complaining, right? Sadie is the one here complaining louder. But Dylan also had his own complaints. Sure. And if I was a therapist working with them, I would actually need to bring out both of them because what happens is the imbalance. The person who has the complaint is like higher up in some ways. And the other person feels like my feelings are invalidated here also because I don't have equal weight, equal footing with this. Yeah, I feel like that's a very relatable feeling for everyone. I mean, I, yeah. So as therapists, we also want to connect with the person who's not bringing forward the issue because I know that there's something going on there and it actually helps the person. If I'm Sadie and I have all these issues, if I hear from Dylan that he has issues too, I actually feel relaxed more. Yeah, that makes sense. It levels me out. Because I also feel like, again, in, in most of these cases, we're talking about people who like have the best intentions. They're so like, yes. oh, you know, like I want to, you know, especially how many young couples were just like, oh, why can't we just get back to when we were like, we're so in love, right? Because it's the honeymoon phase. You haven't really dug deep or haven't hung out with each other long enough to annoy each other, but then you start doing and you're trying to find that thing. And that does make a lot of sense where it's just like, okay, it's not just me frustrated, you're frustrated. So now, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And so if I approached my partner and I said, you know what? You're really scared about moving in or you're really scared taking this next step. So am I. You see, I approach it and I give you space to actually feel ambivalence. But if I, as a lot of women do, I'm certain you're the one. I know and you don't if you don't if I if if you don't think that I'm the one, and then where's the man to go with that? So if we can approach it with I'm scared too and I'm not so certain, how about we figure it out together? You see, that opens up a whole other world for this relationship to feel like it gets on some equal playing ground to actually then build a foundation. So my encouragement to women is recognize that you might be super excited, but use a wait and see, and then give your partner some space to feel ambiguous because ambiguity is actually more common than people think. At all stages of relationship, you could be going along, courting, but then you feel ambiguous. This is a this is a big question. I don't know. I mean, I feel like nowadays that's more and more common. Of course, relation people court and date for longer now than ever. We're like super like vague about like defining a relationship and who we're dating. And are we, if we have a defined relationship, do we talk about it? Like it's, I think vagueness and ambiguity has become the new norm. And here's the other thing. We have like the define the relationship talk usually, who are we? But then what happens is you end up in this limbo phase where you're together for a long time and now you need to define the future. It's like now I need to talk about, okay, what are the next stages and how do we move this along? But I think there's healthy relationships. Back to the point, people have to have hope, right? There's healthy relationships. Secure people don't usually love bomb. They don't need to come on so strong. Oftentimes people who are insecure will act out in these ways. So if we take all the terms, ghosting, gaslighting, uh, stonewalling, and we put those in context, they're more likely to be done by an insecure person. But we all at times can be insecure, right? right? So like you said, there's a spectrum of times that might come up. What is, well, yeah, what is love bombing? What is stonewalling? Again, I think these are another more terms are thrown out. And then again, like after you define love bombing what's the difference between being excited and getting carried away with your feelings 
versus someone who's being manipulative and potentially abusive with their love bombing. Absolutely. So I give a classic example of love bombing and I use myself as an example. So I met this guy once, Nick, met him out once for coffee. We hit it off and then he was taking a trip. He sent me two dozen roses every day for a week at my office. It's a lot. A lot. But at first, right, you're flattered. The woman's like, oh my God, this is like so amazing. He sent me roses, right? But then what's underneath the behavior, like look at the thorns, what was underneath that behavior was to get me into a relationship quickly. So he had two children and he traveled a lot. And I suddenly became like the nanny. I was suddenly like in this relationship because oftentimes love bombing is about progressing the relationship unnaturally fast. So it almost comes with a price. That's exactly right. So the price has a, a tag and the tag is I want you, the insecure person doesn't want you to have to be ambivalent with them. They want to get to a commitment quickly. And if I give you lots of gifts and I shower you and I tell you you're the one right away, I'm going to hook you quicker. So I don't have to feel the ambivalence from you. Interesting. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. And before you know it, then I'm in this relationship with this person and suddenly I'm like, well, that honeymoon period lasted very short. Yeah. And and love bombing can also come at later stages, too. Um, someone says, you know, I'm uncomfortable with everything you're doing. I break up with you. And then you love bomb me. After the fact, you start sending me gifts. And But the big takeaway, it comes, you, you will probably, if you're being love bombed, if you're paying attention, it sounds like you will quickly quickly be find out what that cost of that action Absolutely. is. Absolutely. That's like, right. If you pay attention, you're really, you know, getting back together moving in, whatever, whatever that's that f- stage of relationship, they, it is, it comes with a cost yes. as opposed to maybe someone who meets you, you're super excited. They find themselves to be a romantic and, and someone asked me, what's the difference? And I, I took a unprofessional stab at answering the question and, and said, well, if, if someone gets excited, that person should be able when you check them being saying, Hey, well, we just met kind of something. I want to take it slow. They would recognize mm-hmm. the speed at which, Oh yes, I, I know. I'm, I know I'm getting carried away. I'm just excited. That's and, exactly and, right. And kind of humble themselves. The love bomber might try to suggest that reality doesn't apply to them. They will justify it. They will make you feel bad for questioning their intention. That's right. And then ask for the thing they wanted all the time. So if they're a narcissist who's love bombing you, then they are, again, going to be devaluing you, kind of disregarding you, and then hovering. So that falls in the spectrum, which is I want to hook, you know, I want to get you locked in quickly. And then when you give me feedback, I can't tolerate that because Narcissus, who was a Greek god, fell in love with his own image, and he can't handle feedback. Remember, the narcissist actually lacks empathy, which is a whole different thing. I mean, it's like this person and and emotional people, uh, anxiously attached people are less likely to be narcissists. Some of them can. Um, More avoidance can be narcissists because they have a hard time just taking in emotional content. And that somehow means that you are seeing something wrong with me. And I've created such a facade to make people think that I'm great, that if you start cracking away at that, I'm going to be defensive. 
I find it fascinating when people say things now that we've talked and learned and people are talking about narcissism so much more recently. They'll be like, I wonder if I'm dating and I think my, I think my person is a, a narcissist. And I'm thinking to myself, well, we don't know how to diagnose this. But just the thought would suggest that maybe you should leave. Why do we find ourselves not doing the obvious in those situations where we're talking to our friends and calling in and being like, I think this, am I dating a toxic narcissistic person? And, and I'm like, I don't know, but you're you, like, it sounds like you're dating a selfish person who maybe they're, they're at a bad time of their life or they, they feel really insecure and they're, they're getting carried away with trying to get validation. But like, it seems like maybe they need to work on themselves. Why do we, well, want we're, to well, stay we're back to the situation. pattern of working too hard. So, and here's the other thing. And and Taylor, even in her song, she used the word shame, which is a really impactful word because we can feel shame about our own emotional needs. Like I am too needy. I'm too much. I felt this from other people. So I come into this relationship already feeling like not completely empowered or settled. So I'm going to think, well, maybe I can still make it work. And so to your point, like, why don't you just leave? Because I'm afraid of abandonment and I'm afraid to be alone. It's a much bigger deal than you think. I mean, I have definitely had clients or other people that said, you know, it sounds so easy just say to leave. It's the hardest thing in the world. Sure. And so it is oftentimes the avoidant person who ends up leaving the relationship because the anxious person can't even imagine pulling the trigger on that. Yeah, but uh, they're they're capable of it. it of course. It, because of I, course. You know, again, when I was just like wondering, you're describing these two attachment styles and 20 something me sounded like, the way you're describing it, like anxious attachment to a T. Like I was like, there's no such thing as breaking up. My parents fought hard. This is what they taught me. My first love, it was like, I would be like, oh fuck, are you breaking up with me today or Thursday? You know? And and eventually, I mean, it took me years, but like eventually I realized again what I was doing and and my unwillingness to like accept that maybe this wasn't healthy for us and I needed to leave and be okay with being alone and and finally was able to do that so I, I'd certainly empathize with the challenges but yet have being someone who has done it is do we just have to like take years like I took I mean I took so long to learn that tough lesson can we can anxious can we speed it up? Can, yeah, can anxious attachment <laughs> yeah. people learn these tools to to not you know like I talk about like I just I missed out on so much in these moments while I was fighting for these relationships and especially my first love mm-hmm. and when we would fight or when she would break up with me I would just get into my feelings and and just focus obsess of like how what I could do better what I could work on. And why was I, you know, and I missed out on friends and families and experiences mm-hmm. and I, I, and it all in the name of love and all because it was like too hard. You know, I tell this joke where my dad one day was just like, I'll never forget it. it was sitting at the kitchen table. He's just like, you're just going to have to get over it. And he was mm-hmm. just at his wits end with me mm-hmm. just being, uh, you know, and I, I said to him, there's a better chance I'm going to fly. And I meant it. I meant mm. that I I was more likely to obtain a superpower that would cause me to levitate and fly than get over it and 
and move on. Thank you for sharing that, Nick. But it, it we don't want to minimize how hard it is, right? I can totally feel that. I have had so many heartaches myself. But I do think that we can speed it up a bit. And so how can we? Well, we can learn secrets from the secure person because not everybody is insecure. I want to put that in context. I call my secure person Secure Sophia. Secure doesn't feel this way. She doesn't. Sophia or Steve doesn't feel that, doesn't worry about abandonment, doesn't feel flooded, doesn't worry about being vulnerable. What they have is the power to stay calm in their body so they don't race ahead. They feel the flutter, but they don't get so wrapped up in their own nervous system. Their nervous system is regulated, we call it. So they can kind of manage and they're not having these highs and lows, Mm -hmm. okay? They can also think rationally and their story about love is a positive one because the other problem talking about like expectations and hurt, the anxious person has this story of it's only a matter of time before somebody disappoints me. And they carry all their hurt from relationship to relationship as opposed to secure Sophia or Steve says, you know, love like you've never been hurt. They don't take it all so personally. So I can enter into my next relationship and move on quicker actually with a sense of confidence. So I have a calm body. I have a story that's positive about love. I have a calm mindset. I teach people mindset tools. And I can then actually act with confidence, which means if Dylan came to me and he was overreacting, I'd say, dude, what are you doing? I don't know if you noticed, but you did look a little bit self-absorbed there and you didn't do much. And with objectivity, without my own overreaction, I could hold you to what you're doing. And now we're on to something. And then as a couple together, one secure person can actually really help the other person heal. And that's called earned attachment, where a couple then really co-regulates with each other, helps each other calm down, because that's what successful couples do. They help each other calm down, relax into the relationship, and now you have corrective experiences that counteract all the hundreds of thousands of negative experiences you had in your family growing up. And how do you identify those things because that all sounds great sounds yep we all we all want that right and and is it just a learned experience is it like you know because you're talking it's just like i feel like i have that now in my current relationship depending on the fight or whatever uh it might take longer to get there darlene taught me that if if for fighting for longer than 10 minutes we just Take a time out. Take a time out. Time out is a great tool. We're just like, we're being Mm -hmm. our childlike selves and not that we have to exercise these muscles all that often, thankfully. I'm thankful that for the first time in in my romantic life that I have a partner who, like the what you described, Mm -hmm. it's like we do a better job of getting ourselves out of these insecurities and states than than escalating them. And I feel like I just kind of just got lucky because I was like, oh, well, I found someone who like but like ha is it just a matter of like hiring fast i mean hiring slow firing fast in in terms of like when we're dating and out there and trying to find this person like how do we identify whether we're dating someone that is anxious attached and has like work to do on themselves because like we want to be empathetic and being like i don't know i have work to do on me and who i'm not how do i you know what i'm saying like here's the thing nobody's perfect and sometimes i give people too much benefit of the doubt i know for me as an anxious person i would give people too many chances but if i was more sophia and i had a model and i knew that there was a secure person out there and i could model after her and be more objective in these conversations and these touch points then i think i could have just weeded through them faster and had less heartache so I've been doing this 
psychotherapy for over 20 years. And I've really just identified this four-step model. Like these are the key things. And we know it's called bottom-up healing, which means from your brainstem up, it is your nervous system. It is the way that you think. And you have to work at them. Rinse, wash, and repeat. It's like doing therapy, doing training for your body to get stronger. Because again, the players are out there. If even gross, there's 10 to 15% of people who are narcissists. We used to think it was 1% narcissistic personality disorder, which is very severe. But if if 10 to 15% are in this realm, you've got to just be fast enough and quick enough and limble enough. That's actual narcissists or people who, like, is it? On the who, spectrum. On the spectrum. That's right. So, so, but that's a lot more than that's, you think. Yeah, yeah. So if you write a room of you know, 10 people, um, pay attention. So what Maybe I say- Maybe two to, people could be narcissists. That's right. So I say pay attention. Notice yourself, but work on yourself. Because if you're going from relationship to relationship just to avoid the feelings of loneliness, you have to be so certain with yourself to get to that point. And we can save some people. The fact that we're even having this podcast, we can save some people, you and I, in our experiences, my clinical experiences, to help them move through this faster. But if you feel stuck, you're not stuck. You're scared. Identify, we call it name it to tame it. Identify your fears. I'm scared. And think through that. I've been through this before. I've done hard things before. I can do it again. But my gut is telling me I'm never going to get my needs met with this person. I need to actually be in a relationship that's easier. But here's the other thing. Secure functioning people are sometimes boring. (laughs) Right? They are. Yeah. And so we go, oh, my God, I want like a secure Steve. He's so like... You great. I'm like, he's not going to love bomb I mean, we, you. It's kind of boring. We all joke. I think we've all been there in relationships. I've had it in my relationships. It, even like Natalie and I will joke sometimes where, you know, we are aware of it, yes. but it was be like, let's fight about how much we love each other. You know, in a playful way, we make these love jokes, it. right? You're right. Like we have to acknowledge that the reason why we loved the notebook so much it was because it seemed exciting. I want a guy who's going to threaten to kill himself on a Ferris wheel so that I go on a date with him. Like, that's romantic. And we watched right. it. And get, and he's, <gasps> he's doing all of these grand gestures. And we do have to normalize it and say that is not love. That is infatuation. That is too much. Again, back to he wants to avoid his own anxious feelings of ambivalence that you'll put him through otherwise. And so you have to look at underlying this. But my advice is always, you know, get help, get therapy, talk to other people, be more objective, be your own objective person, write in your journal, go through all of these things. And the best advice is look for patterns. These aren't one-offs. That's why it's so hard to just analyze a one-off and say, what is that? Um, It's more of the bigger pattern that we're looking for. For the person who's in their first love Mm -hmm. because the first seems to always be the hardest to get over because i don't know in my experience you just don't know the difference it was easier to get over my second heartbreak because as even though it hurt as much and maybe even more in the moment i was like i have gotten over this before Mm -hmm. and i don't know how i'm gonna get over it this time but i do know it's possible and just that thought alone was incredibly beneficial to me but for the person who doesn't have that perspective or foresight who's afraid of being alone. Are there tools or reminders to give them the encouragement they might need to take that leap of faith for themselves and face that fear of being alone 
when they know deep down that maybe this isn't the healthiest relationship for them? Well, the data says that quick break relationships that go no contact are easier to get over than the ones that go on and on. Oh, and sure, part yeah. part of this relationship is the tearing off the Band-Aid again and again and then the expectations. And it's like the heart, the heart needs time to heal. Okay. So in grief, your heart just needs time to heal. Be gentle with yourself. Be compassionate. Do lovely things. Take a trip that you would have never gone with your ex. Mm. Create novel experiences. Surround yourself with fun, happy people. Try a new hobby. Go back to graduate school. Do something different Invest for in you. Yourself, yeah. Invest in yourself to get over your ex. Then it's not so scary because you you're not going to be you're going to be less likely to invest throw yourself back into the next relationship. So grief is grief. We wish that that went along faster or smoother. Yeah. You're going to have your ups and downs. The bargaining stage is where like, if only if I talk to him, maybe if he's in therapy, and how about yeah. this? And how about that? We bargain with ourselves a lot in those moments. Too I, much yeah. bargaining. He wasn't your person. I was person. really good at bargaining with myself. Right? Like at dangerous levels when I was younger. Well, if I just, you know what? I could put up with this. You know what? This is okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's fun that she did this to me. It's okay. Yeah. You'll do anything to get that hit again because it is a biochemical thing. It's dopamine, serotonin. You get that hit of love. It is chemically something that's happened. Do you think people can be addicted to that feeling of getting back together with their ex? Like it becomes this thing that... It's not your typical addiction, if we look at that. It's, it's questionable about love addiction. But in the brain, what's happening, your brain looks like you have OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder. Your brain is circulating on the same thought again and again and again. And the feeling of obsessing over having that dopamine, serotonin rush again is powerful. Yes. Yeah. It can drive you to overlook a lot of negative behaviors. But if you're in a calmer state, if you've done your healing, if you recognize that's my anxious attachment, that's my avoidant attachment, if you work through that and then actually practice new behaviors, you're never going to go back. You're only it's only going to be up and now you're going to have more skills for the next person. And again, as someone who's lived it and done it, it's it's like yeah, I, I sometimes wish I could talk to younger me and like oh, I know. you know it's tough but it's a it's a real challenge to try to especially the first time your mm -hmm. excitement levels and like and the part of us is that we just want to enjoy falling in love mm -hmm. you know, like you meet someone you're like oh shit all right well what do i need to be aware of go again you know like sometimes you just want to get out in the car and drive it's a great feeling right um so know that you're stronger than you think know that you're that you can handle it uh, again nobody can anticipate other grief and you'll get through it because you have to yeah we're always so afraid to move on and we're stronger than we think in that case mm -hmm. and yet we're so willing to continue to hurt ourselves through our whatever it's stubbornness or our fear like that fear of moving on also turns in this willingness to like keep taking these metaphorical punches with our insecurities being triggered, our emotions being, you know, feeling like we're not ourselves, just like, we, I think we all have been in relationships where you wake up, you're just, you're miserable. We've stayed in miserable relationships for so long. And it's just like, that, take that strength that you've shown or that ability to endure this pain and apply it to just being alone. I don't well, I, I do love Taylor's, the, the, the quote is, love is short, forgetting is long. 
and um, also that phrase that we don't have the ending yet. You don't know your end story. And it all makes sense in the end. We're not there yet. Mm. Like if I had known if someone could have had a crystal ball and told me, oh, Diane, this is going to be one in a series of many, you would look at it differently. But in the moment, you don't have that perspective. Yeah. So that's what we can tell our younger selves, younger people, that your story's not over yet. You're just beginning. And if you can look at it and say, what can I learn from and what can I grow? And that was me. And I did these things. And next time I'm going to check in with myself and do these things differently, then you've actually made something of it. One thing about the music video that maybe this is just the film school in me, but like the blocking for the fight scene felt very, very like it illuminated what was happening, which is like they were both cleaning up the kitchen and she was there scrubbing plates yes. and he was going and getting the plates and he kept putting them in the sink. So she had more and more plates to scrub. And it feels like that was kind of in terms of like, why is it so hard to walk away from this emotional labor is because I think in that moment you're insecure and you just want to get the thing done. You just want to clean all the plates. You just want to get through this fight. And you're so focused on like getting the task done yeah, that yeah. it's hard. I think sometimes that can and you know that your partner isn't helping you maybe the way you want to, but you just want the kitchen to be clean. You just want to get it done. And then you kind of lose sight of like totally. how futile well, it might that's be. That that's that challenge too, because you're just, we've been told either by our parents or by TV or movies that love is pain and that we have to like be willing to and fight work. For, and work and it's in our vows, you know, and things like that. And, and, and obviously that those are all true things. I, I, you know, no marriage is perfect. We have to go through ups and downs, right? We have to endure, well, but it's finding that balance between what is acceptable and and holding and setting our own boundaries in our relationships, holding ourselves accountable, enforcing those boundaries, and then accepting them from our partners versus taking on all that weight of the relationship because I can, you know. Because you're determined to you're, make it work. You're, deter you're, deter you're like, I've decided this is going to be my relationship and I... I'll make it, yeah. Like, and I've, I've. And let's face it, there's nothing harder than a relationship because a relationship, you're only responsible for 50%, right? My career, I can work hard and I'm responsible for 100% of that. But that is the frustration because no matter how hard you decide, it, it's got to be two people committed to it. But yes, we have this analogy that relationships are work. What they are is time. I say a good judge of a relationship is it's easy, not hard. Right. If you're working too hard at the beginning, I mean, it's you put energy into sustaining the love and quality time yeah. together in having date nights and doing special things. But it shouldn't be that hard. And if it is, it's not a good sign. My favorite quote is relationships are like farts. If you have to try too hard, it's probably shit. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Allie coming in with a good fart joke. <laughs> uh, love that. Got to quote you. So, all that, that is something I had to learn. Uh, for myself, it took me a while, and I because younger me, there was no as long, if it was if it was work and I was willing to do it, it was special, mm -hmm. as opposed to understanding the difference between, like you said, the hard work should be going into m continuing what is already great and maintaining because that is hard work, mm -hmm. especially for a lifetime, not constantly fixing something that's never even worked properly. Yeah. Yeah, and when you're secure functioning together, then there's so much more energy to do other things because right, if if one person's super emotional, it's taking up a lot of the energy of the relationship to manage the insecurity. So, again, couples therapy is another way to move beyond that to now you've made a good investment, you, this person is good for you, then then you want to maintain 
maintain that and you might need some help about it. And, and before we wrap, what is, can you define stonewalling for us? Stonewalling um, is another way of blocking. Like I give you something and you block me and you say no. Um, it could be like eye rolling, um, one of the other signs of a relationship. If you ever notice this, if you ever see anyone eye rolling, you talk to them and they go, huh, roll their eyes, be very careful. It I is heard that's a, a number one reason why relationships don't work out, eye rolling. It's, yeah, it's dismissive, right? Yeah. I mean, it's if, if someone's talking to you and, and they roll your eyes, it's, it's a horrible feeling. So these are just diverting ways, right? I give you something, you don't listen. So everyone makes mistakes to our point earlier. We all have moments of that where we could be considered toxic, where a piece of our behavior could look really negative. But it's how the partner responds in the repair that's crucial. How, if I come to you and say, I was really hurt because of this, how do you receive me now? Do you get defensive and stonewall me? Or do you open your heart and say, yeah, I could see that? So one's workable and one isn't. What is the appropriate amount of patience for, again, because like depending on the day that we had, mm -hmm. things going on, our emotional kind of uh, state of mind going into a fight can all impact how we go about a, a fight, right? So what is the appropriate amount of patience for your partner if you feel like, okay, wait, this feels like stonewalling versus, and, and checking that versus like how much rope should we give our partners like is it or if they stonewall all the time i'm in a, a toxic abusive relationship versus like someone having a bad day and feeling stonewalled well so back to the point earlier that we talked about even gaslighting i'm very careful to ever use these clinical terms with anyone i'm not going to tell my husband you're gaslighting should we stop using that in our I, relationships I think, I think we should i think we should actually keep them for significant situations where there is a pattern and even then the person's not going to give me the validation I need then I might need to talk to a therapist about all of these sets of behaviors and then make my own decision but if I say to you you're gaslighting me where are we going to go with that because you're going to feel blocked you're going to feel like wow I'm this horrible person it's not a conversation opener so let's be careful let's just say speak to your own feelings I'm feeling hurt I'm feeling invalidated and make a request. So in couples therapy, I say it's a complaint is different than a request. A request is, hey, next time, could we do it differently? Could you hold my hand? Could we do these things? A complaint is you always, you never, how come? It, there's a very different yeah, vibe to it. Always never stuff. It's always- That's right. I hate, I hate it. I always, it's- uh, So speak to your own lived experiences and make a request for something else. That's perfectly, that's great communication. Final question before we go. And we have- a big audience of women that we, we obviously, I love and adore, you're my audience. Um, I'm always trying to be empathetic with my audience and it, it's, this show has helped me in my relationships and myself. It does feel like, and maybe it's because women are more in touch with their feelings and seem to be more willing to be more empathetic or maybe they're interested in these phrases, but it does feel like the gaslighting, the love bombing, the stonewalling, it seems like the perception is that it's exclusive to men doing it to women. And is that just a result of women paying attention to these terms more? But in heterosexual relationships, I think we're often doing it to each other or no? Well, there could be equal numbers of women who are um, gaslighting 
Um, I think if the man's more emotional and he interprets it, what her behavior and that's what she's doing, it, it's not really gender specific. But the women tend to feel more fear of men as opposed to men feeling afraid of women just sure. biologically. Yeah. So that's why I think we see the emphasis more on women gotcha. holding on to these terms because there is more idea of threat that I could be hurt by a man physically or otherwise as opposed to men don't recognize that as much. That makes sense. And I feel like that's why like the the power of naming something where it's like feeling like connected and just feeling like so much of the time it's like you're feeling unvalidated. So I think in some ways it's validating having a term that feels like it is encompassing an experience. Well, but then of course the debate is like, but if you are using that term to describe a lesser like thing on the spectrum of that experience, like are you diluting the term? Or, you know, or creating new problems in the relationship because you're right. Because that's the thing is, you know, someone DM me and I, I thought stated it well is that like, there's a reason why these terms are being so rapidly adapted because I think it's putting, I think there's a lot of people and especially women in these relationships for the first time feel like they can identify this behavior. Because by definition, it's so sneaky and it's yeah. so easy for you to write off and say, no, I'm being dramatic. I'm being X, Y, Z. And so, yeah, to have like for the first time, it feel like, oh, we're all talking about this specific thing and we understand what it is. Sure. I think hindsight is 2020, but it's also very dangerous to look, go back and just be like, well, this was how, like, I have a very one-sided opinion of all my relationships. It's my side. Right. And I can try to empathize with my exes and things like that. But like, you know, I think again, my concern sometimes with these terms is it helps us identify with these behaviors and fakes us feel seen. But I think it does a lot of, a lot of what we talked about this past hour is how do we hold ourselves more accountable to help us put ourselves in these healthier situations. Sure, it's the same thing like attachment styles. If I label it, then I understand. I have a name for it. It's called my anxiety, it's my nervousness, and then I can actually cure my nervousness. If I label it as this is a behavior and we can all agree that it's a negative, toxic behavior. But then the question is, as I look at it from a couple's perspective, then what to do with it? Then do I raise it? Do I? But I have to get back to making a request what I want different. I have to own and talk about my experience because if I don't tell you how I'm feeling, I can't expect you magically to mind read and fix it. Yeah. So I'm always thinking about, okay, let's identify it. And then, and then if it keeps happening, then that's a whole different level. Yeah. Cause almost like the identify helps you feel seen, but it helps in some ways it feels like it like almost alleviates any of the role you're playing it. That's right. In a sense, it's like, Oh, well you were doing this and I'm, I guess then I'm, I'm good because if you were doing that, then I couldn't have been doing anything wrong. Yeah, or, or even if, if we go back to like narcissism. So I have to hold myself accountable. Like, well, how am I being attracted to all of these? How am I allowing these people into my life? What am I doing? Um, it's not just like, oh, yet another narcissist. What do I do with that? Right? Yeah. I, now I have, to, I have to then take it in and say, what do I need to do to react differently or how to respond or teach other people then what, 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 what ownership do you pay, play in that? Yeah. Well, Dr. Diane, we could go on forever, but we do have to wrap it up. Uh, as always, thank you so much. I hope that you guys learned. I know I learned a lot, and I hope you guys found this enjoyable, not only fun, talking about a cultural relevant topic, uh, but also informative because, I mean, these are just some of the things that we constantly get wrong, constantly are working on, trying to get right. And I think we're all just trying to find that relationship that makes us feel that it's worth it. Good and worth it and healthy and happy and comfortable and secure and all those wonderful things. 
Uh, please let uh, my audience know where they can find you on social media or look you up or, or work with you if that's something that they're interested in doing. Sure. I work with people in California, though, because that's where my license sure. is. Um, but I'm Dr. Diane Strakowski, the Back to Love Doc, B-A-C-K-T-O-L-O-V-E Doc. And um, if they want to take my quiz, all they have to do is send the word love to 33777 and you will get instant access to my quiz and you can find out if you are a nervous Nora or a secure Sophia or Steve. And um, and then I do have online programs for people to actually help them work through these four steps. That's amazing. Um, well, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Uh, we will be back. Don't forget to send your questions at asknickacastmedia.com, cast with the K for Ask Nick episodes. Next week, we are back with the wonderful bachelorette, Michelle. She will be in studio and we'll get an update on that, on her life, who hopefully a chance to get to know Michelle the person better and not just the bachelorette. And uh, be sure to check that out next Wednesday. Until then, have a great day. Thank you.